America. We are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys, and welcome back to another new episode of You Need Therapy Podcast. My name is Kat, and I am the host. And before we get into anything, I'm just going to give out the quick disclaimer that Yes, this is a podcast about mental health and therapy that is hosted by a therapist. However, it does not serve as therapy. So now that we got that out of the way in the beginning, we can jump into today's episode, which today is a good day to be here. We are in the middle of a little attachment theory series. We started off with the basics. So today we're taking on the task of diving into and learning about the adult avoidant attachment style. Now, if you are new here or someone sent you or recommended this episode to you, I highly, highly, highly recommend that you first go start with the the basics episode that came out last week because one, I think it covers some good stuff that's just a nice little like platform to start with. And I don't want to be too repetitive in this episode. And also Again, I've said this before, but if you have questions about anything that pops up, send them to Catherine at youneedtherapypodcast.com because I'm hoping to do a Q&A episode at the end of this with some of the stuff that pops up in your head as you guys are listening and learning and, and grabbing onto some of this content. So we're going to start general and then expand today on avoidant attachment in adults. What I hope you'll get out of this is how and why it develops and then what it looks like, how to spot it if you got it, and how to feel it if you're trying to attach to it. And then I also think you're going to want to know how to move from an avoidant attachment style to a more secure attachment style. So we're going to make sure we have a little bit of time for that at the end as well. First, why do we even care? Like, why is this stuff important? Why do we care about learning about adult attachment? Like, what's the big deal? And it matters for a lot of reasons. However, one of the big reasons is if you have an avoidant attachment style, you tend to be less happy and satisfied in your relationships. And we know that from research. And while avoidant leaning individuals are less likely to find themselves in therapy because of their avoidance, it doesn't mean that they are happy all of the time. They might, in quote, think they can cut off from emotions, but they might be suffering from just as much anxiety and or depression as someone with an anxious attachment style. Their coping might just look a little different. Now, the good thing about learning about all of this is that if you are willing to be uncomfortable, uh, and we'll get into what I mean by that, then you can learn what does actually not come natural to you, and you can change your attachment style and move towards a more secure attachment. So if you're listening to this and you're like, oh my gosh, this is me, I don't want anybody to hear this as a death sentence because these are fluid. Now, be careful what you do with that statement because I know some of you might be like, oh, okay, so avoidant people can change. So if I'm dating somebody who's avoidant, I don't have to tell myself that this isn't a healthy relationship. I can try to change them. And yes, attachment styles can change. 
And dating somebody with a secure attachment helps move you into security. Yes, yes, yes. But you can't force somebody to do that. And we have to actually be honest about what the relationship is doing for us and how is it working against us. So this is not permission to engage in unhealthy relationships and say, well, Kat told me I could do that because I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that adult attachment is fluid. Attachment is fluid. So this is not a death sentence if you feel like you are relating to a lot of this. Now, somebody with an avoidant attachment style will idealize a life of self-sufficiency. They will also look down on dependency. We talked a little bit last week about how interdependence can sometimes be over-categorized as enmeshment or codependency, and that's what somebody with an avoidant attachment will especially do. They'll be like, oh, that's unhealthy, when really we do need interdependence. We do need connection. We need to be able to depend on people. Somebody with an avoidant attachment style will have this like inside feeling of like, ooh, yuck, you have needs. Needs mean that you're needy and needy is bad. And if you want to know why, it's kind of simple, kind of not so simple, but in a nutshell, it's because in their past, their needs weren't met. So having needs let them down. So they then developed strategies in order to not have needs. So then they wouldn't get let down. Makes a lot of sense. And what we know about feelings is that feelings initiate a need inside of us. And so they work a little backwards. I'm not going to have needs. That means I don't have feelings. So they find a lot of coping strategies in order to create the illusion that they feel less. But just so you guys know, every human being has feelings and emotions. Now, somebody with an avoidant attachment style will look like they're like always maneuvering to keep people at a distance and, and they are, but because we also are people who need attachment to survive, they will find ways to attach enough to get their needs met, but not enough to put themselves in danger of being rejected and or abandoned because the inside, the deepest core starting point for both insecure attachments is this idea that they do not want to be rejected or abandoned. So their behaviors are created around that idea. So if I don't want to feel rejection or abandonment, I am going to put these things in place in order to avoid that, which is interesting because a lot of times people will see somebody who has an avoided attachment style and they will look super confident, but really they're, they're just very, very, very scared. I mean, insecure attachment, insecure. Uh, some things that you might hear somebody with an avoidant attachment say and, and not know that that might be a clue that they are avoidant. One thing is, uh, I'm a free spirit. Now, this doesn't always mean that they have an avoidant attachment. I think people just sometimes are free spirits. But in this context, like I'm a free spirit when they explain why relationships consistently don't work out. Like I just can't be tied down. I'm a free spirit. They're the kind of person who gets tired of their partners really, really easily, but it's not always because they don't really want to be with them. It's more a defense mechanism that is built up when they start to feel the threat of intimacy. In avoidant attachment, we do this thing called repress rather than express. So they repress feelings and emotions rather than express them to others. They've created a belief that they are immune from needs, but the truth is that you're not. And if you're hearing this and you're like, well, I really don't have needs, you do. Everybody does. <laughs> you need to connect to survive. These people come become asleep to their needs. This is very different than not having them. They might be numb to them or unaware of them, but it does not mean that they don't have them. Now, what is super interesting and a key piece of information, if you have been zoning out, zone back in. This is a key piece of information. When somebody who has an avoidant attachment style is faced with a stressful event, an event that does not allow them to remain asleep to their attachment needs, which is how they operate a lot of times, their defense mechanisms break down because they, in this realm, don't work. So when they're in a super stressful situation or event and they cannot numb out the need for needing, the need for connection, their defense mechanisms break down and they end up showing up like somebody with an anxious attachment style. And this is very important because I think this is why a lot of people get their attachment styles confused, or this is why they think that they're in the disorganized slash fearful avoidant attachment style when that attachment style is very, very rare. It's like three to 5% of people. What this means is that when somebody with an avoidant attachment style can't stay asleep to needing, 
they show up very anxious and pull up anxious attachment style behaviors, which we'll get to next week, because they do not have what someone with a secure attachment has. It doesn't mean that they are fearful, avoidant, or disorganized. It means that their system of protection is not bulletproof, which insecure attachment styles are not bulletproof. So it's broken down. So you revert to something else, kind of like grasping at straws. But I actually am getting ahead of myself. So let's back up a little bit. Let's talk about how and why someone might develop a avoidant attachment style. Why don't we? Okay. So we first need to remember that attachment styles are created out of means of survival. So no one creates an attachment style to cause pain. While this might happen, develops as a way to protect and survive. As a child, this develops when, let's say you cry and nobody notices. You feel rejected, you feel pushed away. And if your distress, if you're needing, pushes people away every time you signal that you need, you're going to stop showing distress, right? That would only make sense. And a lot of times people will think that this attachment style develops when people have caregivers that are just like bad or don't care but that's also not true. This can happen when you have parents or caregivers who are doing the best they can, but there might be an illness or maybe physical or mental health, or maybe there's poverty or they don't have all their needs met, or maybe they just have a job where they travel a lot and they're not around a lot, or there can be a lot of reasons why. It doesn't mean that your like, caregivers or your parents don't care about you. And that gets misconstrued a lot. And I think a also, one of the reasons we sometimes don't want to admit that we have one of these attachment styles, if we're talking about early attachment, is because we don't want to demonize our parents or our caregivers because we want to believe that they are good. And this is in no way doing that. We're not demonizing anybody. We're just looking at what has happened based on your experiences. So like I said, if you're showing distress and your needs are not getting met by that, then you're going to stop doing that. You're going to take this idea that like, oh, needs mean people won't show up, right? If I have needs, then people won't be there for me. If your needs were over and over not responded to, you're going to bypass your distress because you learn that it doesn't help and you just get let down. So as a kid, if this is happening as a small child, that you will learn to hide your expression of attachment. So your expression of attachment is that neediness. If I stay still, if I stay quiet, if I stay well-behaved, mom won't walk away. Mom won't ignore me. Mom won't X, Y, Z. We make that up in our head. Not having needs will up my chances of closeness with mom if mom is my primary caregiver. Because again, when I was taught that I get needy, mom gets up and walks away. That could be an experience you have. And let's say that mom was dealing with her own stuff at the time. We're going to go with this idea that mom's primary caregiver. Let's say mom was going through her own stuff at the time and maybe was was stressed out or anxious around being an, an, a new parent or what have you. And when you did distress and when you did call out for help, and when you did cry, she wasn't there or she left because of her own stuff, you are taking on that message. So if I then am quiet and I just don't have needs, mom will stick around and I can attach, right? So it's not that you're like, oh, I'm not going to attach. You find a way to like back up into attachment because avoidant kids still need connection. And that was, I was saying earlier in the very beginning of this, having an avoidant attachment does not mean that you actually don't have needs and don't have attachment needs. It's a way that you have figured out how to cope with your attachment needs in your head, get your needs met. Doesn't actually really work long-term. Hey guys, Kat here. And I have something very important to talk to you guys about. Now, I know you're used to hearing me talk about therapy and how important it can be for you and how transformative it can be for you in your life. But if you're somebody who's tried therapy and it just hasn't done the trick, or you just need a little extra boost, I think I've found the next best thing. And the next best thing might just be Cozy Earth and their bamboo sheets and their bamboo pajamas. It feels like you're stepping into a 
buttery, cozy, warm, and cool hug all at the same time. And that's just their pajamas. Don't even get me started on their sheets. As soon as I touched them, I said, okay, we're changing the sheets right now. And the bonus is they come in this really cute travel tote so you can take your sheets with you wherever you go. Elevate your summer getaway with Cozy Earth's luxurious bedding and loungewear, ensuring the comfort of home wherever you roam. We're all in luck because you can discover your next destination for ultimate comfort at Cozy Earth. Visit CozyEarth.com and use our code UNEED at checkout to get 35% off. Yes, 35% off. And let them know that we sent you You Need Therapy after you check out. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle. And I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, I'm, I'm talking about an early childhood right now, but remember, in the last episode, we talked about how when we used to think that the first two years of life had these like very deciding factor-like impacts on our attachment for the rest of our life, and that's not totally true. Those are very, very critical moments and experiences in our life, but every relationship plus media plus our environment and experiences plays a role into our attachment. We have what we call an internal working model of relationships, and that can change with each new relationship or experience. So your attachment style isn't completely set as a child, but that's when it starts to develop. So what does this look like as an adult? Well, in adult life, it looks like you become zipped up and you think things like, I don't need you. And a picture that I like to use, I'm like very visual. And so when I think about somebody with an avoidant attachment style as an adult, I think of them wearing like footy pajamas that like zip up, which like are made for kids. (laughs) But as an adult, you put it on and you zip it up. And what you're doing is you're zipping up your feelings and your needs. Avoidant people have the ability to connect to a partner, but they also always have an escape route. So I think sometimes we think like, oh, avoidant people can't connect. No, they can, but they always have an escape route. They are not preparing to stay connected. They are going to stay connected until there becomes a threat of intimacy, a threat of abandonment or ejection, and they are always planning another route to go on. Because when they start to feel like their partner needs them, they subconsciously become very insecure. And then they hit up that escape route that they already had. What they have also is a pattern of deactivating their distress and needs. How do they do that? Through things called deactivating strategies. 
Now, deactivating strategies are what somebody with an avoidant attachment style does in order to keep their partner at like an arm's length. What they do to to be connected enough, but not too connected. And simply put, this is like any behavior that is used to like push down intimacy. Intimacy is very scary to these people because intimacy creates more of an opportunity to get rejected or to get abandoned. And again, that is what we are trying to avoid this whole time. So what you're doing when you're using a deactivating strategy is you're pushing down, pushing away, suppressing your attachment system. And your attachment system is a biological mechanism. It is a system in our brains that is designed to seek closeness with some partner, whether that is a caregiver growing up or a romantic relationship, or it can't even apply to like working relationships or um, friendships. What an avoidantly attached person has done with these deactivating strategies is they found a way to deactivate that system to an extent. So they're finding ways to deactivate their attachment system, kind of turn it off. So what are some of these things? Let's just go through some examples of deactivating strategies. They will create beliefs and ideas like I'm not ready to commit, but they may stay with that partner for years. So you'll be in a long-term relationship, like super long, but you're not ready to commit or you're not ready to say, I love you, but you're going to be in in that relationship, but I'm not going to get engaged. Or maybe I'm going to get engaged, but we're not going to plan the wedding or we're going to be in this situationship and I have you, but I'm not going to define the relationship. They will also focus on really small imperfections and kind of like pick people apart even though they might have these like big grand scale things that you desire in a relationship, which allows them to have excuses not to attach to someone. So like think about somebody who's like, oh, they chew loud. I just like can't stand them. And these things like irk them to their core. Or let's say they don't like the way they dress or like his hair or her hair is too long. Like little things, like little nitpicky things that you'd like, really, that's a deal breaker for you. They just focus on these things until they become deal breakers. They also are always like looking for the idea of the one, like the perfect partner, like my soulmate, my other half. And this is a tool to keep someone kind of at bay. It also tells you and sends you the message, everything is fine with me. The person I'm with is the partner. It has nothing to do with me. It's that they don't have this thing that I want. They're just like not good enough. Because also somebody with an avoidant attachment sits in this belief system that the issues are external. The issues they have in relationships have nothing to do with them. So it's like, it's not me, it's you. Literally, (laughs) the opposite of really what we want to hear. The other thing about this this deactivating strategy is if we can sit with the idea that like, oh, I'm looking for my soulmate and like you just don't have the things that I really need in a relationship and really make it external, you also send this illusion that you're searching for connection and you're searching and you're trying and you're attempting to connect. It's like a double defense mechanism because it sends out this message that like I really am trying, but at the same time, what you're actually doing is pushing connection away. So it can be very confusing, especially to the partner or the person that you're in a relationship with because you're like, but they do want this. And it's like, actually, they don't. They're pushing away connection every time they, they get it or they find it or they really feel it. Also, they will do this thing called Rosie Retrospect, or I call Rosie Retrospect, with old partners. They will like fantasize about old partners. So they will look back at old relationships and look at all of like the good parts and the happy parts and the exciting parts. And they will forget that like when they were in that relationship, they were also doing the same thing that they are doing currently in their current relationship, like nitpicking them. Amir Levine and Rachel Heller in their book Attached, which awesome book if you want to learn more about adult attachment. In their book, they call this the Phantom X. They say that like once at a distance, uh, the threat of intimacy is gone. And that's why you can convince yourself that the relationship was better than it may have been or better than you felt it was when you were in it. And why you can think that like this was the best partner that you've ever had because there's no threat of intimacy anymore because that relationship is over. So now you start to develop these like idealized ideas. Puts the past partner on a pedestal when you wouldn't have done that in the relationship. 
And what this does also is it like creates this like back and forth game where you're like taking two steps forward and then two steps back. And that can preoccupy yourself with thoughts that you are like attempting connection. But what it's also doing is it's keeping you from engaging with somebody new and it's keeping you from creating any like actually real possible connections in your present. So again, it's like a double defense mechanism. Something that these people will also do is pull away when things are going well, which is so (laughs) confusing for the partner. So confusing where I have so much empathy for the partner because it's like whiplash or like being blindsided. And a lot of times this happens because they have been putting their guards down. They've been breaking down walls. And like the more you become connected to your partner, the more scary it becomes for you. The partner's loving it. It's like, this is going great. This is going great. Whatever. This is wonderful. And then all of a sudden the threat of intimacy pops up and then they have to get out of their ASAP because if there's intimacy, there is more of an opportunity for me to be rejected or abandoned. And if I am creating intimacy with somebody, that means that I'm going to start to have needs and I can't do that. And a lot of times what will happen is they'll start feeling their needs, but they also will start feeling the appropriate attachment of their partner. And that feels very needy and they will have to get away and they'll blame it again on external factors. You were too needy. They were too needy. It was too much. They were clingy. Gross, ooh, blah when really that partner could have been very appropriate in their neediness in the relationship. But then what happens is that partner then is like, oh my gosh, they'll second guess themselves when really they were very appropriate. Avoidant people will also start keeping like secrets purposefully in relationships. You might start to create something with somebody, but then you start really holding back and it just keeps you at a distance. It allows you to not lean in fully. They also will like physically detach slowly. So not having sex with their partner or not much physical touch or creating more distance between the time you might see somebody. So these are all strategies to keep partners or relationships at a distance while also attempting to be in a relationship because at the core of all of us, we want connection. We want relationships. We are wired for that. But somebody with an avoidant attachment wants to have that, but wants to do it in a way where they can't get let down or hurt. And I can't get let down or hurt if I don't lead in fully and I maintain my own autonomy. However, this just gets in the way of you feeling secure in a relationship. So it makes no sense. All of this stuff backfires. It totally backfires. This doesn't compute in somebody's head if they're unaware that they are have an avoidant attachment. What they think they're doing is creating strategies to keep them safe. But what they're also doing is creating a lot of self-fulfilling prophecies. They are also not allowing themselves to shift their attachment system. So I mentioned in the first episode that yes, attachment systems are fluid and they can change, but they can't and won't change if you do not allow yourself that opportunity. And these things change not with knowledge, but with experience. So when we can connect to somebody and we can allow our needs to show up and be seen, and then we can see that, yes, it may not perfectly happen, but we can have our needs met and people can connect to us and we can feel intimate relationships and be in intimate relationships and our partners can be there for us and they're not going to run away every time I have an attachment need we can start to shift our attachment, but we can't start to shift our attachment if we hold on to the belief that our needs can't be met and we don't allow people to meet them. I wish I could like draw a diagram for you guys right now, but this is not a visual podcast. So avoidantly attached individuals mistake self-reliance for independence. They value self-reliance when they think they're valuing independence. However, independence is something that allows us to also be interdependent. So being independent doesn't mean you don't need people. Quite the opposite. We become more independent the more that we know that we need people. The more that I have this idea that it's okay to need people, the more that I can have connection and feel safety within somebody and then go out and try and be independent and do new things. And, and scary things, because I know I can come back to that, what we just defined in the first episode as our secure base. So these are also self-soothing people. They automatically move towards take care of myself rather than be being taken care of. What happens when I need others? I'm going to get hurt. So when I have a need, I'm going to go self-soothe on my own. Also, this is a very interesting that thing that happens, but 
in the beginning of a relationship with somebody who is avoidant can very much look like this love bomb situation. It's super, super confusing because what they're doing in the beginning of a relationship, they want attachment, but what they're going to do most likely is they're going to focus more on you, uh, making sure that others need them more than they need others. Making sure that others need them more than they need others is kind of how they survive and how they kind of back into relationships. But then this ends up backfiring because they're going to end up being overwhelmed by their partner needing them. And so you're going to just be, you know, following the signals, right? Following the cues of like, this person is making this all about me. This person wants to see me constantly. This person is um, showing up consistently and, and giving me all this praise and validation. And as soon as I, I actually hold on to that and I continue to want that and expect that and need that in the relationship, they're like, oh my gosh, you're so needy. I have to get away from this when there is an expectation from them, right? So all of a sudden you've been attuned to what they've been showing up with and then you expect it. That is a need. That is scary. They also are afraid of letting you down. So they're going to find a way to run away. They internally say screw needs and vulnerability. It just gets you let down. It just gets you hurt. And so they're going to withdraw and stonewall and shut off their expression of need. And you know, what's interesting is if they don't have an awareness, if they haven't been, you know, exposed to this, they don't really have an awareness that they're holding anything back because they have taught themselves not to feel distress. They've conditioned themselves. They don't want to be alone, but connection is frightening. So they have taught themselves a way to have connection, but also not fully connect. But they don't actually know that they're like doing anything wrong or that's going to hurt them. They just think like this is how relationship should be. And this is how connection is. That's why when somebody has needs, they really are like, you are so needy. You, oh my gosh, there's something wrong with you. Because they think that what they're doing is the right way. It's like the truth, the light, the way. They don't know until they know. And that's the tricky thing. They aren't doing this to hurt others. They aren't doing this to hurt themselves. They're doing this to protect themselves and to get their needs met. They have developed a strategy to disconnect from the expression of need. It's not that they don't recognize their feelings. They have literally learned not to feel them because when they feel them, they might have a need. And if they have the need, they will get abandoned or rejected. And that's what I'm talking about with like the footy pajamas. They're zipped up. They have learned not to feel their feelings. They have learned not to get too close. They have learned all of that. And that is like the normal way for them to operate. These are the kinds of clients, like if we're talking about in therapy, these are the kind of clients that don't really know why they're there. They might have come because somebody else told them, maybe because their partner encouraged them. And then once they get into therapy, they're like bothered to be there. Like they're therapists. Like if it's me, I'm, I'm a burden to them. It's like, I'm fine. If everybody else would just fix their stuff, like then I wouldn't have a problem. I don't really know why I'm here. This doesn't really feel like my issue. If my partner would stop being so needy, I wouldn't have such an inclination to walk away from them. I'm the one that's operating correctly. Everybody else is just too much. So when I ask them to tap into their needs, they might not be able to do that. Or it takes a while. Or they're like, this is stupid. This is dumb. Like you're, you're bothering me. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC 
was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, and I wish I would have said this earlier in the episode, but here we are. Somebody with an avoidant attachment is somebody who has lost hope and they desperately need to be shown that again. These are the people who got let down over and over and over and over again. And it was consistent. They consistently were let down. So here we can grab onto a crap ton of empathy because if I'm let down over and over and over and over again, I'm going to learn something. I'm going to take a lesson from what is being shown to me. I have completely lost hope that my needs can be met and that people can show up for me and that people will show up for me. That is why I have developed these strategies. Not because I don't really want connection because I've taught that if I want to have connection, I have got to shut down my needs because if I have needs, people will leave me. So these are the people that have lost hope. We'll get into this next week, but the anxiously attached people are the people that have had hope and then got let down, had hope and then got let down, had hope and got let down. So they don't know what to believe. They can't be soothed because they know it's possible. They know they've had that before. And so when they then get it, they don't want to like let go because they're afraid that when it leaves, they don't know when it's going to come back again. These people just never had hope shown or consistently have been shown that hope is not available. And we need to desperately show them that hope is possible. And a lot of times that's my job as a therapist, which is hard. Even my relationship with hope can be at times a little bit wonky because having hope can let us down. But I think something that's really important to remember about hope here is, is hope is not the belief that everything will go my way. Hope is that life can surprise us. Hope is that things can turn out differently than I expect. Hope isn't everything being bright and shiny all the time. Hope is that when I am disappointed, I believe that things can still be good. Avoidantly attached people can be very confused sometimes and it can feel like they don't really know what they want because Again, like in the beginning of relationships, it's very like love bomby, but then all of a sudden you're bothering them. So it's like, oh, I wanted to be in a relationship with you, but then all of a sudden you're just like an uh, inconvenience to them. And when you ask to make future plans, they get annoyed, yet they were just talking about how much they do like you. They don't know what they want because they are innately wired to want connection, but they also have been conditioned to believe that connection hurts you. And this is also an example of how like once you get close to somebody, your attachment system gets activated. And when somebody with an avoidant attachment has their attachment system activated, then their go-to is to pull up a deactivating strategy. 
or they engage in a self-soothing strategy. We go outside of the relationship to get help. Anything that I can do alone to soothe. That can be Instagram, that can be overworking, that can be uh, video games. They also might engage in unhealthy amounts of masturbation or having physically intimate affairs. That's a relationship that the stakes are low to work out. So I don't have to fear intimacy there. But I, I do get to have my needs met and I get to engage in a behavior that soothes my nervous system. It soothes that fear. So remember, attachment is strongly about how we relate to fear. And so if I can find something that soothes my fear, fear of intimacy, fear of abandonment, fear of rejection, I'm going to go do that, whatever has the lowest stakes. And for somebody who's an avoidant, we self-soothe outside of the relationship. We don't soothe inside of the relationship. An anxious person is going to be more apt to try to soothe inside the relationship, like overactivated while the avoidant is like underactivated. They also come off as super confident in themselves. I think I said that earlier, but what I want to remind you is that this confidence is not really confidence. It's defense mechanisms. It's not allowing yourself to show up fully. The most confident people in the world and I truly believe this. This doesn't have to really do with attachment, although it does at the same time. This is just a blanket statement. Confident people are able to talk about their insecurities. That's somebody who's confident. A confident person isn't somebody who doesn't have insecurities. A confident person is somebody who's I have insecurities and that's okay. And that's why confident people are the people that are going out and doing the scary things because they do not believe that if they mess up, if somebody doesn't love them the way that they love them, if they experience what they might or somebody might assume as a failure, that does not rip apart um, their sense of self and their worthiness and their value as a human being. In a secure relationship, when you get distressed, you can turn towards another human in a healthy way to soothe. An avoidant is going to, like I was saying earlier, they're more likely to lean out. So a avoidant attached person is going to lead completely out. They're going to self-soothe somewhere else. And that will sometimes look like confidence. Like I don't need other people to help take care of me. I can take care of myself. It's a false sense of confidence. A secure person is going to lean in in a healthy way and an anxious person is going to like, I wish I could like show you my hands right now, but if a, if a secure person is leaning in, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to have like a 45 degree angle in while a anxiously attached person, when they need soothing, it's like they flatline. They completely, like if I have my hand at a 90 degree angle, they go from 90 degree when they have a need, they totally flip it over and they flatline onto the other person. They like suffocate the person with their soothing needs. So I'm going to wrap some of this up. Um, and I want you to remember, I want you to remember through this, Avoidant people still need connection. If you have an avoidant attachment, you have not gotten rid of your need. You have just learned that needing leads to pain. Thus, if you don't need, you won't feel pain. They do have feelings. They have learned to detach from their feelings. Their instincts are to stop and to protect. It is a threat to who they are their value, their worthiness, their okayness to be questioned or to feel questioned or for anybody to think or feel like they have done or they are doing something wrong. And that something wrong could be just like letting somebody down. But in relationships, in healthy, secure relationships, we will let people down. We will have rupture in our relationships and then there will be repair. And that is okay. We can mess up and that is okay. But these people don't know that. And it is their job to learn that. But to learn that, they have to do the scariest thing ever, ever, ever. Risk rejection, risk abandonment. And so I say this all like roll off the tongue, easy information, but it is not that easy. It is like the deepest, darkest, biggest fear to feel those things, to feel rejected and abandoned. The threat of those is the scariest thing imaginable. So how do these people move towards a secure relationship? Kat, if you're telling me that you don't have, it's fluid and you don't have to stay here, how the heck? How the heck? Okay. If you are one of these people, what you're needing is you need to be more curious about how you are doing in the world with the people around you. If someone's complaining that you're not open, if somebody's making a comment, it's not a threat. 
It's not a threat because a complaint is actually good. A complaint says like I am expressing something that I need in order to create a deeper and better relationship. It's not saying I'm leaving. It's saying, hey, I need this. So if you're not open to that, you will not be able to shift your attachment. But if you are and you can increase your curiosity about your relationship, you can move towards a more interpersonal idea and rather than a independent idea of how to relate to the world. Your job and your work is to tolerate being taken care of. And I know that might be like, yeah, I'm not doing that. But if you want to shift your attachment, you have to tolerate being taken care of. And you know what? I know that the reason you probably are in this state is because you tried that once and it didn't work out. But I want you to hear this. and You might need to like replay this 15 times just because somebody didn't meet your need. Just because you were abandoned or you were rejected or you weren't taken care of when you needed it. It doesn't mean that you are bad or wrong. It doesn't mean that people cannot be there for you. It just means that that person wasn't able to meet your need. It just means that that person wasn't there for you. And I promise you, not every single person is like that. But what I don't want you to do is find people that mimic that and then create all these self-fulfilling prophecies over and over and over again so you can say, see, I told you so. People can't handle me. And the more that you believe that people can show up for you, the more you're going to be attracted to people that can show up for you. And that is like the turning point. People with avoidant attachment overwhelmingly assume that the reason that they're unable to find happiness in relationships has to do with external circumstances, like I said before, and little to do with themselves. So we can blame it all on like, people can't, people can't, people can't. But maybe you are creating a system now that fulfills this idea. Maybe this idea really isn't totally true. And what I can't offer and what I can't say is that people won't let you down because that is part of life. People are going to let us down. But people also have the ability to be there for you. We got both. So until you are able to look inward at yourself and your own behaviors and your defense mechanisms and your deactivating strategies, change is not likely to occur for you. But when you are able to look at that and you are willing to risk the scariest thing, and hear me out here, abandonment and rejection, pain from that, feeling that, experiencing that, that won't kill you. I promise you that won't kill you. But what actually might have the ability to kill you are the behaviors that you develop in order to avoid that, to order to avoid your feelings so then you can avoid your knees. That's what's going to hurt you long-term. Abandonment rejection, yeah, very uncomfortable. I think that it's like my biggest fear. I don't want that either, but that's not going to actually kill me. But my inability to experience that is probably what's going to keep me from getting what I actually truly, truly want to need. And this part might be really hard for you because you have to accept that you have insecurities and that is very threatening because it's one of the ways you learn to be safe is to go around that. You're more intellectual if you have an avoidant attachment style. Less feeling, more thinking. We want you to pull those together. Uh, I was listening to a podcast, the Therapist Uncensored podcast, and what they said about avoidant attachment, they said, if you were in the Wizard of Oz, you'd be the Tin Man and we need you to find your heart. We need to help you let people care for you and attune to you and you to really deeply care about them. And yes, that brings threat of pain, but it also brings what we all truly, truly are longing for. You got to activate your needs. And if you're saying that's ridiculous, that's stupid. People with needs are needy and gross and ew and blah, 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 blah. And you think that people with needs are dramatic and all of that. I mean, then <laughs> you might have an avoidant attachment style. And when it comes down to it, it is only by feeling distress that you will want to actually work on this and you have to activate your needs to feel that distress. You have to actually feel like you are not getting what you want for you to make a change. And I will say if you're, and this goes back to what I was saying in the beginning, if I'm like, this is not permission for you to continue to date somebody who has an avoided attachment style and is hurting you because you think they can change. 
if their style of relationship is working for them, they're not going to change it. And until they are able to activate and sit with and appreciate their their neediness and their feelings, and they're able to open up to the idea that they're not getting what they want anymore, they're not going to make that change. So that's why you can't sit around and just like hope that they're going to change because you're going to end up maybe even creating an avoidant attachment for yourself. So I hope that this made some sense to you guys. And I hope that this is starting to open up some wavelengths and some ideas of thinking and some sense of some things that maybe you've experienced that or that you've seen people experience. And I will say this is not an all-encompassing description of avoidant attachment, okay? This is a 40-minute, 45-minute summary of it. And so there's a lot more nuance to it. So if you're feeling this and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm relating to this, Take it all with a grain of salt as well. And if you want to work on this, then I highly recommend you reach out to a professional or that book attached that I mentioned earlier. Um, I'll link that in the show notes is a really good place to start. I encourage you to lean more into more and gaining more information because this is just an overview. So I think it's time we wrap it up. And if you have any questions, if any came up, again, feel free to send that to Catherine at unitherapypodcast.com. And I will try to do an episode where I answer those questions or try to answer some of those questions about attachment. And for all of you guys that hung in there with me today, I hope you're having the day you need to have. I hope you have the day you need to have. And I will see you guys on Wednesday or talk to you guys. I don't know that I'll see you. I will speak to you guys on Wednesday for Couch Talks. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.